Father, may only your words be spoken, and may only your words be heard. Amen. Last night, I read something that actually knocked the breath out of me. I didn't know that words could do that, but it felt like something actually punched me in the chest. Despite all of my better judgment, it led me to rewrite a portion of this sermon. Yes, last night. (laughs) But it was words that I could not shake. I could not open this particular gospel passage and not say something about what I had read. A young woman, an author, had compiled a bunch of statistics about the decline of the American church, especially among younger members. Young people are leaving the church in large numbers. Among her statistics, she listed reasons that she believes this to be true. None of them were surprising to me. I've heard them before. I've seen them before. Hypocrisy, racism, the abuse of power, the abuse of children, indiscretion, greed. Again, these weren't surprising. But what I couldn't shake was a statement that she made as kind of a summary to what she had seen through her studies of the American church. She wrote, The truth is, churches have not been a net positive in society for a long time. Churches have not been a net positive in society for a long time. As someone with a deep, deep affection for the church, for the work of the church, I didn't know what to do with that. It was a gut punch. First, it made me a little defensive. I mean, we know there are issues, right? But surely there's more good than bad. People are just people, right? Maybe, maybe young people are just having unrealistic expectations. It also makes me angry at those who keep tipping the scale. We're trying but people keep lowering the score. I had a friend a while back tell me that she didn't feel much desire to go to church anymore herself. She felt like being associated with Christianity didn't align with her values anymore. She valued treating people with love and kindness, while what she experienced of Christians was the opposite. She said she felt like Christians could be calloused, even cruel, in the name of being righteous. I've heard these sentiments before, and I've felt them before. Maybe you have too. The church is supposed to be a source of healing, of hope, of good news. But for so many, it's not been that. Churches have responded to the steady decline in a a number of ways. Some have moved to make services more contemporary, to draw the younger crowd in. Some have tried to make church more relevant and less stuffy. My old church back at home even added an omelet bar right outside of the sanctuary because millennials must love omelets. (laughs) Some have clung to their doctrine and theology tighter because if young folks are leaving the church, it must be because they've fallen away from good doctrine. And still, many churches are closing their doors. But is the world really better without the church? At the same time that the American church is declining and a lot of pews across the country are emptying, we are experiencing what the U.S. Surgeon General calls an epidemic of loneliness 
Even this far out of COVID, so many people are isolated and desperate for community and connection. There's also growing research about the mental health epidemic in America. People are suffering from unprecedented rates of depression and anxiety, our youth especially. And what about the gun violence epidemic? And then there's a literacy crisis and the housing crisis and the fentanyl crisis. There's so much more than an omelet can fix. In my deep, deep love and affection for the church, I still believe in it. I believe that this is the moment the church is needed all the more. This is the moment that the church needs to get it right. Part of the reason I still believe in the church is because of what I've experienced in this church. Almost three years ago, I was walking through some deep church hurt myself. I was not a sideline church member. I was three years into seminary. I was in the church building three or four times a week. I was committed. But after a few very painful years, I too was ready to walk away. But praise be to God that instead I walked into the home of Terry Blakely and Lynn Diffie. They opened their door and welcomed me to their table for a big plate of chicken fajitas. I, don't, I didn't have a whole lot to say, but both of them could see that I was carrying grief that words could not describe. A few weeks later, Terry held my hand as I cried and as I shared my story. She didn't tell me to have more faith or that my doctrine must have been lacking. She didn't dismiss my hurt. She gave me what I was most hungry for, compassion. Along with many others, Deacon Terry was for me a source of healing that grounded me back in the goodness of the church, helped me to believe again that God really is as good as I believe him to be. It wasn't because this church was perfect. It wasn't because she was perfect. It was because they were compassionate. So how do we make the church a net positive again? I don't think it's just by making the church more relevant or more contemporary. But what about more compassionate? I think this passage has some insight to offer us. You see, it starts out with a summary of Jesus' ministry up to this point. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And that's exactly what he's been doing. If you read the book of Matthew up to this point, he's healed lepers. He's healed the centurion's servant. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He heals a pair of men from their tormenting demons. He healed the woman with the issue of blood and raises a synagogue's ruler's daughters back to life. He's preached about the kingdom that he has come to inaugurate, and he's made it clear that this kingdom has healing and has wholeness and has mercy. And this was attractive. He's gathered quite a crowd. When he later calls the disciples to him to then send them out, the verses are almost mere images of this summary of Jesus' ministry. Chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. 
And then in chapter 10, verse 8, they are instructed to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. The instructions are almost verbatim what Matthew says Jesus has been doing up to this point. Jesus is basically telling them, do as I do. Everything you've seen me do, go do now. To be sent by Jesus seems almost to be sent as Jesus. And he gives this very imperfect group of disciples the authority and the ability to do it. If the church is going to be a net positive in society again, it needs to look more like Jesus. It needs to be a conduit of Jesus in the world. And luckily, this passage also gives us a core feature of who Jesus is. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. The Greek word used for compassion in the New Testament means to feel something all the way into your bowels or your gut. The bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. So here, Jesus was moved by something so deeply that he felt it in the pit of his stomach. It's not all the time that we get glimpses into the emotional world of Jesus in the Bible. So when an author mentions how Jesus feels or how he was affected by something, we pay attention. We know Jesus was angry at times. We know he wept and was sorrowful. We know he experienced joy. But the emotion that Jesus was said to feel more than any other emotion in his life was compassion. We find this word five times in the book of Matthew. This is the first time, and we see it again in Matthew 14, when Jesus had compassion on the multitude of people, and so he healed the sick. Matthew 15, when Jesus tells the disciples he has compassion on the crowd because they were hungry, and so they feed the 4,000. In Matthew 18, the words used again in the parable of the unforgiving servant, and then again in Matthew 20, when Jesus had great compassion on two blind men, and he gave them their sight. The compassion of Jesus is a running thread throughout the book of Matthew, and really all of the synoptic gospels. The word is used in the famous parable of the Good Samaritan. Compassion causes a Samaritan to stop and bandage up the wounds of the victim on the side of the road. It's used again in the parable of the prodigal son. When the father sees his lost son returning home, he's filled with compassion and he takes off running. The compassion of Jesus is not just a nice quality about him. It is central to who he is and why he does what he does. You can go all the way back and see that compassion is actually a thread throughout the whole biblical narrative. Because compassion is a fundamental attribute of the divine character. In Exodus 34, 6, God reveals himself to Moses and he identifies himself as the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is how God describes himself, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. 
Throughout the biblical narrative, no matter how many times the people of Israel mess up and fail and are the cause of their own hardships, God is attuned to their suffering, and he is moved to compassion. The late Tim Keller said, God is of such compassion that he comes, not because we pray well or because we are living well, but simply because we are hurt. I think it's a good reminder, even on this day, Father's Day, that God the Father is not distant. He is not calloused to pain. Not yours, not mine, not the pain of the whole groaning world. Jesus' very existence is the clearest outpouring of the compassion of God. It's like God saying, I see your pain, I see your need. I see you trying and trying and trying and always coming up short, and I can't take it anymore. I'm coming down to be with you. And while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The essence of Jesus' whole ministry is a fulfillment of God's compassionate plan to restore humanity back to himself. So if the church is going to be a net positive again, it has to be like Jesus. It has to be filled with compassion, not for the people who pray well, not for the people who live well, but compassion for the hurting. It may sound almost too sweet or touchy-feely or easy to be an answer for what ails us, compassion, but this is far from easy. This compassion that Jesus so often felt was nothing short of a gut-twisting emotional reaction to the reality of people's suffering. His guts twisted when he saw people hungry, people sick or weary. His guts twisted when he saw blind people or grieving people, lonely people or people outcast by society. But still, he drew near to them. If the church is going to be a net positive again, we have to be willing to get our guts twisted up by people's pain. We have to be willing to engage. I spent the last 15 years in the field of social work. It's a profession that I love and enjoy, but I will admit it can be really difficult. To always be near suffering, to always be feeling people's needs, Something you hear talked about a lot in the social work profession is something called compassion fatigue, sometimes synonymous with burnout. I've taken whole classes on this phenomenon and how to avoid it. One definition that has always stuck with me from an old textbook is compassion fatigue is the chronic condition of perceived demands outweighing perceived resources. In layman's terms, feeling like you don't have enough to give. It's a very human experience, compassion fatigue. And it's humbling for people like social workers and nurses to have to admit that we can't do it all. One of the remedies prescribed for compassion fatigue is a lot of self-care, which I love a good bubble bath, receiving grace through rest, but also finding supportive communities. And maybe that's why Jesus sends out the 12 in groups. Compassion requires community. 
When Jesus was feeling this gut-twisting compassion, that's when he told the disciples to pray for more laborers. And the disciples were the answer to their own prayers. Compassion is done in community. It's fostered in community. It's lived out in community. Out of Jesus' great compassion, the church is created and commissioned and equipped with the Holy Spirit to go and take that compassion and spread it out into all of the neighboring towns and villages, to take that compassion to people's homes, to their synagogues, to the people on the streets. Jesus' method of compassionate ministry is through the movement and mission of his disciples through the church, partnering with him to bring his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. A community that is moved to compassion by suffering and whose compassion moves them to action, to go out and to preach, to go out and to comfort the hurting, to go out and to give rest to the weary, food for the hungry, clothes for the naked, that is a church that is a net positive to society. And this is why I believe the church is still the answer. And I've seen so many glimpses of it in this very church. I think of my friend Stacy and her team, moved to compassion by the suffering of immigrant families in our community, and she didn't turn her head. She let the needs that she saw get deep down in her and twist her guts. And her compassion moved her to action, and All Saints Immigration Services was born, a conduit of Jesus' compassion for so many in this community. Or the family in our church who opened the door one day to find a homeless single mother on, her, on their doorstep with a child and homeless siblings. And they didn't turn away from the suffering or the weariness, even though it might be an inconvenience. They were moved to compassion, and they opened the door wider and said, come in. I see you. I see how tired you are. Come in and sleep for a while. They can't fix all that's wrong, but the Holy Spirit poured out his compassionate power and enabled them to be a conduit of healing in their community. Or my friend who spends every day serving the needs of the community through mental health treatment, Though compassion fatigue is an ever-present reality, he continues to draw near to the hurting day after day, who's not afraid of people's pain, not uncomfortable getting into people's grief, and he continues to be a conduit of Jesus' compassion. The healing prayer team, the blessing place, a modern picture of the called and commissioned church moved by compassion and sent out to neighboring towns by the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe the church can be a net positive. I believe that it can be a force for good to bring about the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. How? We keep doing these things. We cultivate a community that is always conforming to the compassionate Jesus. We give compassion to each other. We receive it to each other. We share in the life of the compassionate God for the sake 
of the compassion-hungry world. I believe in the church. And I pray that God would equip us to go and be that church for the healing of the world. God, thank you for your gift, for your compassion to us, and for your calling to participate with you in bringing that out to the rest of the world. Amen.